Dear friends, what is church? Is it the building in which we normally gather for fellowship and worship? No, it is the people who meet there. Can we have church when we are not gathered at that building? And the answer must be a strong yes, if we follow scripture's teaching. In the present difficulty when many churches cannot gather normally, if at all, in their church building, we need to work consciously and deliberately to keep a strong faith and a solid biblical view of our standing and fellowship with the Lord and with each other that we enjoy through his church. Paul wrote strong warnings against the danger of willful neglect of assembling. Hebrews 10,24-25 Do not overlook the warning of this neglect in the verses that follow, what he wrote confronts and rebukes a personal and deliberate choice not to gather. I openly confess to discouragement, frustration, and a growing longing for face-to-face -face fellowship and communication with the dear people whom I serve. However, I do not feel any sense of conviction for wrongdoing. Romans 13 is fully as much inspired scripture as is Hebrews 10. I include below a document that I regard as precious from sometime in the second century, around 100 years after Jesus and the Apostles, that describes Christians under the Roman government, a government far more corrupt and decadent even than our present government. As we grow impatient with the present limits of safe gatherings, we need to read this document and Romans 13 regularly. And a point not to take lightly. Whatever opinion you have of this virus or of various governmental efforts to control its spread, no one can question that it is far more contagious than any virus we've seen in decades. Many of our church members are older, and many of them have serious health issues that leave them weak and vulnerable. Not for personal pride or making a statement against actions or people whom we oppose, but out of love and respect for these dear saints, please take the medical recommendations seriously and practice them. Do it to avoid putting your brothers and sisters at risk. 1. Do everything you can to maintain at least 6 feet of distance between you and other people. 2. Wear a mask whenever you are indoors or around people who do not live in your household. 3. If you are aware that you have been exposed to someone who was infected, respect the quarantine fully. Stay away from other people for the prescribed time, even if you feel as healthy as ever. Sandra and I are both older and have compromising health issues that make us especially vulnerable to this virus. Sincerely, as we read or hear of other church folks meeting at church, the more we see or hear that they were conscientious in their practice of these safeguards, the sooner we will feel comfortable joining them in the gathering. And, if we read or see that they are not carefully observing these safeguards, the more hesitant we will be to venture into the gathering. Above all, as we work our way through this dreadful season, remember all your brothers and sisters in Jesus with love and kindness, whether you and they agree on the virus and its impact or not. At the end of the season, will our personal conduct make us stronger in our faith and closer in Christian love to each other or more distant? Lord bless. Joe Holder Those Christians From a letter believed to have been written by an anonymous Christian apologist to Dionysus, a Roman government official, probably in the 2nd century. 
for Christians are not differentiated from other people by country, language, or customs, you see, they do not live in cities of their own, or speak some strange dialect, or have some peculiar lifestyle. This teaching of theirs has not been contrived by the invention and speculation of inquisitive men, nor are they propagating mere human teaching as some people do. They live in both Greek and foreign cities, wherever chance has put them. They follow local customs in clothing, food, and other aspects of life. But at the same time, they demonstrate to us the wonderful and certainly unusual form of their own citizenship. They live in their own native lands, but as aliens, as citizens, they share all things with others, but like aliens, suffer all things. Every foreign country is to them as their native country, and every native land is a foreign country. They marry and have children just like everyone else, but they do not kill unwanted babies. They offer a shared table, but not a shared bed. They are at present in the flesh but they do not live according to the flesh. They are passing their days on earth, but are citizens of heaven. They obey the appointed laws, and go beyond the laws in their own lives. They love everyone, but are persecuted by all. They are unknown and condemned, they are put to death and gain life. They are poor and yet make many rich. They are short of everything and yet have plenty of all things. They are dishonored and yet gain glory through dishonor. Their names are blackened and yet they are cleared. They are mocked and blessed in return. They are treated outrageously and behave respectfully to others. When they do good, they are punished as evildoers, when punished, they rejoice as if being given new life. They are attacked by Jews as aliens, and are persecuted by Greeks, yet those who hate them cannot give any reason for their hostility. To put it simply the soul is to the body as Christians are to the world. The soul is spread through all parts of the body and Christians through all the cities of the world. The soul is in the body but is not of the body, Christians are in the world but not of the world. The Father rewards openly. Take heed that ye do not your alms before men, to be seen of them, otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father which is in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Matthew 6 verse 1-6 KJV 1900 In these six verses from the Sermon on the Mount, he used the word reward five times, three times related to the Father's reward to his obedient children, and twice to remind us that we may so act as to have no reward. Obviously, by Jesus' words in this lesson, this reward is something a believer should respect and value. 
This is one of those lessons that people read casually and misinterpret to the dishonor of their faith and the responsible work of the Lord's Church. On a few occasions, after having preached at a church, either a member or even a deacon would walk up to me and try to put money in my pocket unnoticed. When I did notice and make eye contact, they would explain, I don't believe in letting the left hand know what the right hand does, as if they were actually honoring Jesus' words in this passage. No doubt, Jesus made the point of not making a public show of good deeds in the lesson, to be seen of men. However, these mistaken folks failed to understand the difference between the New Testament teaching on godly financial support of the church and ministry and the giving of alms, what you give specifically to the poor. The New Testament teaches quite simply how believers should give to the financial support of the church, and we find not a word about giving privately, as Jesus taught in this lesson. Believers should never do any righteous deed for attention or for praise from people, to be seen of men, or that they may have glory of men. But nothing in those teachings to the churches implies a requirement to give so privately that the idea of not allowing the left hand to know what the right hand does would apply. In this lesson, Jesus identified two personal acts of piety which his followers should strive to do privately rather than in public. His main point is obvious. What motivates your giving and your prayers? To be seen of men or to have glory of men? or to obey and to honor the Lord. The two acts of godliness that Jesus taught should be done privately, are giving to the poor and prayer. Whenever we do anything in our Christian conduct with the idea of gaining something, anything, for self, we gain nothing. Authentic prayer is the Lord's giving us the grand privilege of talking to Him. The next time you are in a public church gathering and someone leads the public prayer, think about what that person said. All too many public prayers fall into one of two categories. 1. They are memorized repetitions. Or 2. They sound more like the person is talking to the people present than to the Lord. Repetitions, the person saying the prayer may shift the words around a bit, but what he says in today's prayer is almost exactly what he said the last time he prayed in public, and the time before that. How do you think the Lord reacts to a memorized and rehearsed speech that he has heard time and again from this person? When we pray, privately or in public, our first thought should always be a humbling and profound acknowledgement that we are talking to the Lord, not giving a speech to the people present. Speak like you are talking to him. Avoid repetitions. Also avoid quoting scripture to him. A good friend and elder tells the story of an invaluable experience from his youth. He was a Bible student, so, when someone would ask him to lead the public prayer in church, he would fill his prayers with Bible verses. After he followed this practice a few times, an older man in the church quietly took him aside and gave him wise counsel him what is on your mind and heart at the most and true. Tell him what is on your mind and heart at the most. and true. Tell him what is on your mind and heart at the moment. Be honest with him. Repetitions, you need not repeat his name after every thought. How did Jesus frame his model prayer, 
a prayer he taught to show us how to pray acceptably to him. He started the prayer with, Our Father which art in heaven. Did he repeat the Father's name again in this prayer? Not once. If you are talking to the Lord, you call his name in the beginning, and then you speak to him on the premise that you have his attention. He heard you address him. Now he is listening to hear what you really want to say to him. Say it. Call him what he taught us to call him in our prayers, Father. Do not multiply titles, O Holy, August, Divine, Master, or whatever. Simply refer to him as he wants you to call him, Father. Within my church culture, I have not usually heard people pray ostentatiously, self-focused and for show. However, our human nature is alive and healthy, so we should guard against this inclination. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee, that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. Luke 18:11. Jesus' words clearly identify the man's problem. He prayed thus with himself. He went through the motions of praying to God, but he actually spoke to himself. The man didn't ask the Lord for a single thing. The primary subject of his prayer was himself, naming the bad things he never did and the good things he always did. Thus with himself almost reads as if he prayed to himself. Jesus left no doubt, the man may have impressed onlookers, but he didn't impress the Lord. Take heed that ye do not your alms before men, to be seen of them, otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Jesus takes us directly to our motives. Why do we do acts of kindness toward those in need? Do we want to help them? Or do we want someone to see us in the act and praise us? Jesus makes his point crystal clear. Whatever we do with the hope of being praised for what we did comes up empty with the Lord. For those acts, we, have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Jesus does not at all condemn words of thanks or appreciation when we are aware that a person did something commendable. We should strive to acknowledge the good that people do and to encourage them in their godly conduct. What Jesus does in this lesson is to alert us regarding our personal motives and he repeatedly anchors his teaching on the question of a reward. He does not at all reject the idea. He rather affirms it quite strongly. The question at the heart of the passage is his point. Whatever we do, to be seen or to gain praise from people earns only one reward, the praise of the people for whom we performed the act. If we do the same act because it is the right thing to do and because we want to honor the Lord and help one of his children in need, not at all with any thought of personal gain, Jesus affirms three times in this lesson that the Father shall see and reward thee openly. Jesus did not specifically tell the disciples how the Father would reward his unselfish and obedient children. Openly indicates a present acknowledgement, not a final rewards in heaven. Jesus' lesson drives our thoughts to the heart of our personal motives in both giving to the poor and in prayer. Likely he used these two common righteous activities to exemplify our whole Christian conduct. His point is obvious.
if we hope to honor and to please the Lord by our conduct, we shall never act, however commendably, with the motive of personal gain, be that gain the praise of people who observe our good deeds or thoughts of other gain for ourselves. In this area, I am often puzzled at the open selfish motives of people who believe they are finally saved by their good works. Without reserve, they frequently and openly affirm that they presently live a righteous life with one goal in mind, to gain their personal place in heaven, and, often as well, to earn more stars in their personal crown of glory in heaven. Apparently they have no sense of Jesus' words in this lesson, for he leaves no question that such self-serving acts earn no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Not only are these dear people wrong about the basis for their eternal salvation, but they are also wrong regarding their motives for the good they do. That Jesus used reward three times to remind us of the Lord's response to quiet, private godliness and twice to remind us that any act motivated by our desire to gain for self gains nothing, teaches us richly. Repetition adds emphasis. The Lord whom we serve is not a piece of granite who never reacts or interacts with his people. Every passage in the Bible that affirms answered prayer affirms that our God is aware of our conduct and of our petitions to him, and he is responsive and interactive with us in our prayers. We have the choice. We may choose to act in faith and deliberately to honor the Lord, with no thought of personal gain, and Jesus teaches that he shall recognize and reward this selfless kindness. Or we may choose to perform acts of godliness, but also consciously choose occasions when we may gain attention and public praise from our friends. Unusual seasons in life, especially difficult seasons, such as we presently face, often present us with golden opportunities to serve and to encourage our brothers and sisters in Jesus. We've had six months of opportunity. Have we served and encouraged the people in our lives during this season? Or have we been a prickly pair of irritation and challenge to them? At the end of this trail and it shall end, will we be stronger in our faith, and in our habits of helping those around us, or weaker? What would the people in your life say about you? Much has been written in public media about formal church gatherings. While many regions now allow churches to gather, other regions, including where I live, still restrict all public gatherings. While I sorely miss the fellowship of the people in our church, I am thankful that we can gather around scripture twice each week and jointly focus our faith on our Lord. I am fully persuaded that the Lord has richly blessed these gatherings, despite our not meeting formally in our church building. Please constantly pray for the time when we can gather safely again in church, but do not neglect or devalue the gatherings that we do have till that time comes. Elder Joe Holder